Welcome to LD Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Sivalingo, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and pathbreakers in LD who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty-gritty stuff that you actually care about. In this week's episode, we speak with Doug Elland, people partner L&D at GoHenry. Doug is incredibly passionate about serving the internal customer and shares his experiences of using this insight to carve out successful, tailored L&D solutions. This conversation is a wonderful testament to the fact that L&D should always be about people before anything else. Enjoy. Doug, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. How's it going? Uh, I'm super excited, especially given the topic we're going to talk about is how do you serve um, your customer? And in this case, our customer is the, the employees who are at the organization. Um, so I guess a good place to start is, yeah, how do you get to know your internal customer and, and what they need? I think this is actually one of the sneaky little bits about L&D that make it such a beautiful role. Is like your job is literally to have a chat and have a good time with people. <laughs> um, I think it's enabling yourself to like literally, you know, just talk to people on a level and really understand that, that they're your colleagues. Um, so it's like a couple of different things that like I do to really understand that. But it is really ground level. It is literally jumping in and having these like proper basic conversations like how's it going what's going on today not really even talking about work or learning specifically um enabling like that very like a natural relationship to form as you're kind of working with people and then you can start start gathering those threads and really pulling them um but there's a couple of little things that i really like to do as part of it um i think one of them and I definitely can't take credit for this as an idea. I learned this from a webinar, but it was flipping the script on the exit interview. So there's like a bunch of questions that you'll ask during an exit interview, like why are you leaving? What strengths didn't you use that you wish you could have used? What about your job? Did you not like that you wish you could never do again? All those kind of questions that you'll ask when someone's leaving, when it's too late. Well, I like to ask those questions in their first month because right. then we can do something with it. And you learn some really like interesting things about what your customer wants and kind of what they need as well to feel like they're fully served by the business. Um, and then another way is really thinking about actually what is the product that we deliver ourselves for our customer, um, for our external customer. Um, it's going to get really confusing as I go between internal and external <laughs> talking about this. Um, but it's we create a really beautifully designed product for an, our external customer. And for me, that is the baseline of what we deliver internally. So that has to be the exact minimum because if they're expected to do that for everyone else, then they should get the same thing inside, um, which creates a lot of excitement and pressure on the L&D role. But then also it means that you're constantly innovating and looking for new ways to serve them better, um, which really helps you get to know kind of what they want, what's working. Obviously, like lining up on the feedback of what they're giving you on the back of your interventions. Um, and I also think like when you're doing certain interventions, people will tell you what they want more often than not. If you're actively listening, people will actually just give you the exact answer you need. Um, so sometimes I'll be in a workshop and somebody will say something. I'm like, oh, then that's our next workshop that we're going to do. And you're already giving me what that is. Um, but then subconsciously they know they've been heard. Um, so it's like kind of like 
I, like I'm scratching their back, but they're also helping me scratch my own back at the same time sure. to yeah, give them yeah. what they need. If that kind of answers that question, yeah, for sure. And I love the approach of you know looking at it as a product and a customer, right? Because it, it means you can leverage a lot of the learnings that we have generally around product development and being customer focused. Um, and just that kind of approach itself is quite different to how a lot of L&D teams work and, and what we've seen. Um, and what do you think that changes? You know, how does that help the, the way of thinking about uh, what you offer as a product and thinking about your end user as a customer? How do you think that helps you um, deliver better L&D within your organization? It stops it being so much what you think is the right thing to deliver. And it's more about what they need from you as well. So you're really looking at the specific interventions and problems that they're facing and solving something or helping them solve something very specific and tangible. Um, like we all love a really like broad and beautiful like leadership theory. And actually next year we are doing a massive rollout of insights in our business. But it's actually how can you get something really broad like that and be like, this is how you can answer or solve this specific issue that you're facing right now. And that's really that kind of like customer mentality. Like imagine if you hired someone to build a garage for you and then they kind of like built what they thought they should build and not the garage you wanted. And you'd be like, why the hell are you here? Like you're fired. Um, and it's the exact same thing for me within the LD business. Like how can we solve a specific issue you're facing or help you go on that journey together? And then we can take it from there. And then you can weave in the things that you think are really interesting, the things that get you fired up as part of it and get them engaged to it and really liberate their curiosity along the way of that journey. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. getting as specific and tangible as possible is the real silver bullet that comes with serving our internal customer. So what, what does, I guess, that initial part of the process look like? You know, is it... I'm going to go out and speak to certain managers. How do you pick those managers? How do you do those interviews to really understand what those needs look like? I mean, it is super tiered. So first off, you have your overarching business OKRs. Like I need to prove return on investment on why we're doing this. The real sort of like back to brass tacks and sometimes like not the sexiest part of the role. Um, but there is that like beautiful phrase of eating a frog. So I like to eat the frog, um, which is really tying it back into those areas. Um, and then it's looking really for the influences that are in the business already. Um, so I kind of look at those in kind of all different levels. Um, so you have the influential people in the business who are just broadly, they've got it, they're well-renowned in the company. People listen to what they're saying. Um, they are very good at influencing up, but they're also very supportive and ear to the ground. So using those right. people as right. kind of like, what are those key challenges you're facing? What's work, What's going on right now? What are you working on? So how can what we're doing right now, not only right. solve our business OKRs, help me achieve my OKRs, but really how can they help you do yours? Because the right. minute that I'm helping you do that more effectively is we're starting to build that structure. Um, and then I look kind of on the other end of our influences of our like learning influences. So these are the people who are champions already of that learning process. Um, so they can sometimes are a bit quicker to see the connection between the intervention and the tool you're making and the problem right. you're trying to solve. And they will help you build those bridges and talk to people sort of like around the business as well. And they sort of become part of the training army or the training ethos. Right, right. And then I go to the next step, which is the person who might not be a converted training influencer, but somebody who has a unique problem that you can help them with. Right. Um, and you 
usually that person is somebody that I might look at who might be in a completely different area of the business to me. So for instance, the way that our structure is set up, I'm part of the people team, which is part of the operational team, which is the very operational structure of the business. Right. But then we have an area of the business, which is a bit more creative marketing in those areas. And they kind of live in a different sort of house to me. So how right. can I get someone who lives in that house to be super excited and do that over there? And that's why I like to call like my unconverted influencer. And wow. I'll help them yeah. sort of take the work that we're doing and be like, oh my God, this has solved this problem. And then they're influencing this whole house of people that maybe I don't have like the access to. Maybe if we're using us, I don't know, like a Harry Potter analogy, I'm in Slytherin, they're in Hufflepuff. I don't have the password <laughs> to get into whatever their house common room is, but they're doing it for me over there. Um, and it is that thing of we're all that one team sort of ethos inside that strategy. Um, I don't like to get super specific when we're building out those strategies i think it's really doing those top level what are what we're trying to achieve from a very broad perspective and then those action points that we want to achieve as part of it which could be specific trainings it could be workshops that we build it could be tools that we develop they need to be a bit more reactive to work inside our business because you know what the problem our team is facing today they needed the, pro- the solution yesterday um, yeah. so i'm trying to create a strategy for next year well, actually, I don't know what problems are going to happen yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is building in the padding to be flexible. Um, and as someone who doesn't like routine, that works for me as well. There's there's so much there to, to kind of pick apart and dive into, Doug. So just on the influencer part, how do you go about, I guess, identifying those influencers, both those kind of business influencers and learning influencers? How do you identify them? Um, so it's an interesting interesting one because I guess I joined Go Henry seven months ago. So it's right. a journey that I've gone on very recently, but it's also a journey I'm still going on. And actually, it's one that will never end as the business continues yeah. to move. Um, so first off, that initial like convert, pre-converted learning influencer, they're already on the choir. They're already singing from your hymn sheet. They're the people that are hungry for you. So they're the people that have already put that meeting in your diary before you've joined. Right. They're the people who've already asked for something in that for some sort of training. Um, and very quickly, it's easy to sort of get those people on site and ask them the questions that they've seen have worked before and maybe not worked in the past. Um, but then also like like solve those solutions. Um, for the unconverted, I think this is when you really got to use sort of the different company comms that are available to you. Um, so who are the people that are talking to the business? Right. Um, so for instance, we you might have a town hall in your business. We do something called an M3, which is meant to be on the third Monday of every month, but it's usually on a Thursday. Um, but that's when the whole business will get together and talk. And I can see that there's someone that maybe is talking on that con- consistently, but I don't have a lot of interaction with. So right, they're already right. an influential part of the business and right. they're solving something. And there's a reason I'm not talking to them. So how can I find a reason to talk to them? Um, and that's where I work really closely with maybe some people within the people team who might have interactions with them. So maybe there's a recruiter that recruits for them who can get me kind of like involved in a conversation. Maybe there's some X interviews going on in their team and I can sort of like dive into those and use those as a segue to get into it. Um, but then it's going to that person with the issue that they're facing and being like, I can help you solve this issue. Let's right. do this together. Let's hold hands and like get moving on it. Um, and then you can do some really beautiful stuff together. Like last week, um, I mean, I guess last week from when we were recording this, I ran an all-day workshop with our creative team. Um, and it's a team that I necessarily haven't had a lot of hands hands on time with. We spent right. eight hours sort of exploring self-awareness 
connections, conversations, to ultimately get to better connections within their team, but then to also become more effective through our insights discovery workshops. Right. And they're all converted now. So then they're, they're, that's now four people in the house that I don't have the password to and now <laughs> spreading the love out over there. So yeah. that's kind of like that sort of area of the pre-converted and then the getting the converted people on there. Um, but then I think there's also a bit of what house is on fire um, right. and identifying what is the house that's on fire right now and what's the solution you can employ to help put that fire out. But then that solution that you've done, how do you then evolve it to then protect all the houses that weren't on fire at the same point? Right, right. I wasn't trying to get into like a deep Harry Potter analogy. It's <laughs> kind of happening. And I think pop culture references always help in everything. <laughs> how do you find the balance, Doug, between like, you know, a manager coming to you going, I need this particular training? And, and you know, that kind of classic model of order takers and L&D being a very reactive part of the business where... I need training, go get me this training versus getting a better understanding of, like you mentioned, the, the actual problem you're trying to solve, right? Um, because almost the training is a preconceived notion that this is how you need to solve this problem, which doesn't really give you the opportunity to kind of solutionize how you would address that problem. So how do you find a balance between giving them what they need, but not necessarily in the form that they expect it to be delivered? I mean... The see, I think the secret power that any person working in training development or any support function needs to know how to do is ask high quality questions. And it is going through that question mentality when they come to you to ask for that training. What is the question behind the question? What is the reason behind that? And diving into that with that person, what have they tried already? Um, but then I think also if you do have a bit of a roadmap of what you're going to deliver, it's actually saying, well, we've got this solution. Does this work for this? And sort of tying those pieces in as you sort of go in with it. Um, I think another part of it is as you sort of do, like, it's trying to get it before they come to you in that solution. I think if we're going to like dumb it really back down, actually is I guess one thing that I do very quickly in joining Go Henry was we had to run some anti-money laundering training, um, okay. which is compliance, which I think everyone who works in LD hates doing compliance training or they don't have as high a passion for it. Um, and I think what a solution for that is, if this is a pain point that we face every year, how do we make this a pain point that goes away in the future? Um, so the way that we were doing it before was very, everyone in the business has to join an hour-long lecture of us talking about anti-money laundering. Um, right. And for people who work in our fraud team, very, like, very tied with their role, super engaging. For people who maybe work, in our design team not the sexiest thing to sit and spend an hour of right. your time doing um so i think it's working with that manager who has that really firm need that they have to do it this is the house that's on fire but how do we make that fun and sexy to everyone else and yeah. sort of change the script on it so what we did is we actually found a subject matter expert within our business who wasn't the manager who we wanted to really promote across the business and they were the expert in that and then we filmed talking head videos based right. on anti-money laundering training, uh, which got it from an hour-long lecture that everyone had to attend at a certain time to a seven-minute video that you could watch any time in a month. And right. then we tied in all this sort of like pop culture references around it. So I like went on to like Netflix and I found a load of clips in Ozark, from Ozark and found them on YouTube and weaved in Ozark and loads right. of different things that are going on about anti-money laundering. So people who are in design who have watched that thing, they're like, oh, I right, know what right, they're right. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Creating that connection. 
but it's alleviated this pain point for the manager that has come with that specific need. But then it's also meant that it's a video that we can use every year now that it's done. It's a seven minute training intervention, which is done for an hour and it's solving that problem in a much quicker, more exciting way, but then also answering the need as well. Um, But then using that as a proof of concept, say, okay, so this is all our compliance training now. So how can we make everything that we do from that, like data security, health and safety, all the things that nobody wants to do, how can you make those fun and easy and painless? That can be one of the solutions that you do with it. So it's, they have a great idea, but then how can you like pull in different references to make it a bit better for everyone else? I guess it goes back to that idea of product development, right? Turning it into something that is more accessible and, and kind of fits that customer and, and serves their need. I love that approach. And I guess taking another example, you mentioned earlier, Doug, around the, the way you're kind of developing this um, leadership manager toolkit. And it's one of the, the kind of big um, projects that you're working on. Maybe we can dive into that. How do you figure out what is it that your leaders need? And obviously, as a high growth company, there's a mix of uh, experienced leaders, but also first-time leaders who are coming into the business. And um, so, maybe if you could walk us through that process, how do you figure out what you need to include in this solution, and what does that solution look like? Okay, so first thing is always the unsexy part. Go back to the OKRs. So, what are the business problems we're trying to solve that year? Um, and those are the tools that are built first within any toolkit. So, for instance, if one of the OKRs is everybody needs to have a review this year, they haven't had one. It's so is that one of the first toolkits we'll develop? But then what are the things within those toolkits that need to be built out? And I think one thing that happens when you are a leader, and especially if you're new or even if not, there's a bit of like common senseness that we need to get away from. And I hate the term common sense because that's common sense for one person. Um right. And I think some examples of this is you become a leader, so you're automatically good at setting goals. You're automatically good at giving feedback. You know how to coach. And everyone builds everything off this assumption that you already have this stuff or these like skills under your tool belt. Well, actually, that's the thing that steps people from doing any of this stuff above it. So it's really stripping back the arrogance of training and being like, what is the thing that really like slows you down? And it is building those baseline tools really like early so actually a really engaging tool around setting smart goals is something that people can unpick no matter what level they are in the business whether you're building out your goals for the year for your team or whether yeah. you're brand new to the business and actually you're not a leader but you still need to set those goals right so we call it go manager's toolkit but also i like it to be a hack that anyone can use right. so that actually if you want to become a leader you can use it but then if you're not a leader right now or if you are a leader you can use it as well and then I think it's weaving in some more of the, the things that are a bit more aspirational um, that sort of feed it in. And I think a key part of this, which is very much needed, is sort of really diving into all the stuff around equity, diversity, inclusion, and taking these topics and going really macro on them as well. So you're doing these really like finite, nice tools around smart goal setting, but then you're asking these big questions around what is neurodiversity and are you ready to lead a neurodiverse team and what does that mean? Right. Um, so people can almost learn new questions to ask and learn new questions to Google. And that's the thing with our tools. I don't want to give you all the answers. I want to give you more questions so you can Google right. it and go on YouTube and do all that stuff and like ask the questions um, as we're building through that toolkit. But another thing that we do from it is actually it's trying to make sure nothing happens in isolation. So if we build a workshop 
for instance, I've recently done one on like how to be a kick-ass coach and everything likes to have a bit of alliteration within it. And so from that, we'll develop toolkits that will dive into every subject that we go into in a bit more detail on that. So one of the things we did in that workshop was we talked about the drama triangle and I could only talk about that for literally three minutes, but then we can build a whole toolkit on escaping the drama triangle, the grow model. That's a lifetime of practice. Let's build a whole toolkit on that. So it's weaving it all together so that no matter your learning style, it is kind of there. I guess, how do you track what works and what doesn't work, Doug, right? You're you're trying a bunch of different things. You've got uh, different resources in this toolkit. Hmm. You know, how are you tracking what's working, what's not working? And what do you do with that information? Um, So there's a couple of different avenues we go down. So so I think if you're talking about technical training, um, one of my big approaches to any kind of development is everyone you work with is an, is an adult. So treat them like an adult. So what is the training they actually want? Um, and I have a retail background. So if you come and now I work in a tech company. So if you're coming to me and asking for Python training, I'm like, why do you need to learn how to charm a snake? I have no idea what you're on about. Actually <laughs> talking about coding. And I'm like, I, I won't ever know what is the best tool that you're going to use to learn to train, but you will know that. So for the technical training, it's challenging them to go to market, to find the thing that works for them. And then all they need to prove back to me is, what's the return on investment to the business? And can you prove to me based on your last review that this is going to alleviate one of your pain points or augment one of your strengths? And if they can do that, great. We'll like, typically sign off that cost. Um, so I think the win you'll see from that is you actually see the increase of people who are actually taking advantage of our training budget. Um, But then it's also seeing the population grow of different teams that are going for it. So when I first joined the business, our product team were amazing advocates for taking advantage of this training budget. Um, And and then recently, I've just got a load of our tech team excited about doing it. So it means that this like sort of idea of, oh, I can find a development that works for me and get it from our business and actually turns into L&D into a benefit is seeping across these teams that live in different houses in Hogwarts, whatever you want to keep going on that analogy. Um, and you're seeing that grow. So you can see that in that way. Um, for more of our other interventions, so the next level we do is kind of something that we call a Go PD. Everything at Go Henry has a, a Go on it, <laughs> which is Go Personal Development. Um, and they're workshops that either we all write internally and lead ourselves, or if they're specific ones where we go external, we might find an external provider to lead them. Um, and that's when you start seeing the uptick in people actually joining those. Um, and another part of looking at how you're seeing the growth in that is actually different leaders who are promoting them within their teams. So our UK team, really great at taking advantage of them. Our US team maybe not, not, doesn't do as many, but now we're seeing an increase in those sort of workshops right. that our US team is. So what is the reason they're joining that workshop? Um, right. And it's asking those questions to pull them out so then we can get that team to join more. Um, so it is very much like, I hate to say it, bums on seats is a bit of it. Right. Um, and then from our more go management toolkit things, it's very early days, but what I hope to see is a reduction in certain figures. So labor turnover will go down. Um, the actual responses we're seeing on our exit interviews, because we use that as a key metric to identify topics, we'll stop seeing those topics coming up as much if we can see right. that alleviating. Um, and then you get general views, likes, you know, your kind of virtual body language on that kind of stuff. Um, and then I guess from an overarching thing, it's then seeing people coming purely to the L&D function for answers on things. We'd never had an L&D function in the business before I joined. So it was very much, 
people throwing pasta at the wall and seeing what's stuck when they ask for training development. But now they, if they go more and more to a specific individual to ask for that intervention rather than going to like a general mailbox and then they get looped through, seeing that direction come through, it just means that we're seeing more and more of that engagement coming through. Doug, we're going to go on to our quick fire questions now. Are you ready? I'm going to fire some questions at you and you That's can give bit. me a relatively quick answer. Does that work? Cool. That works. Right. First one for you, how do you learn, Doug? Oh, so look, I read all the time. Well, I say I read. I listen to audiobooks. So I'm on audiobook 28 of the year. I'm trying to get to 30 before wow. it's out. Yeah. Podcasts, feedback, you know, and actually, do you know what? It, there's different networking groups that you can join on these things. And just kind of added on to that, how do you go about deciding what to read? Or, you know, is it recommendations? Are you typically searching for a particular topic? Uh, so there's a couple of authors that I really like, and then I go on what's their reading list. Um, right. And that usually helps quite a lot. Um, and then sometimes I do have a couple of book clubs that I'm part of. So one with my, some of my colleagues in the States, or well, old colleagues in the States, and we'll, t- we'll take it in turns to choose a book. Um, so I might be way more like leadership focused, but we did um, an awesome one, um, which was all about intersectionality of um, feminism and transgender um, identity. And I was like, that's a book I never would have chosen, but actually it helps right. so much. So yeah. having different people within those book clubs really helps pull out like what you're doing. Yeah, uh, it's a great way. And I, I love book clubs and I think it's it's almost an untapped opportunity even within workplace learning uh, for the exact reason you said, right? It brings different people around the table and you're normally introduced to books that you wouldn't otherwise necessarily go out and find yourself. And I think almost discussion around the book is just as valuable as the book material itself. So I'm a big, big, big fan of book clubs. And what do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your career? Uh, Don't ever try and be original with L&D. Like, I think everyone's like, I want to make the newest, shiniest thing. There's a reason, like, the Grow model has been around for 40 years because it works. So I think trying to not come up with original content it's like a key learn that I think will save you a lot of time and stress, but coming out with an original way to like deliver it and weave in relevant, like pop culture references and references to your business to bring it to life. Like you, I think your job in L&D isn't always to know the answer. It's to know how to facilitate it. And that's a really key differentiation within like the field, I guess. What's the one skill that you think someone working in L&D definitely needs today? high quality question asking you need to be able to know how to ask questions that are really dynamic and make people think in a different way um and i think it's the hand holding part of that is active listening um and that's the thing i'm always having to make myself work on um because it's probably not a natural thing that i do but really like turning that on and listening to it um so yeah that whole high quality question asking mixed with active listening will solve most of your issues will help you get to the root of the problem What's one thing you've learned from someone else you've worked with? Uh, so there's a phrase that um, everyone who's ever worked with me will know that I've said this, but I definitely didn't come up with it. And I don't think the person came up with it um, who told me it. But is if you give someone a bad job to do, what kind of job are they going to do? They're going to do right. a bad job. <laughs> um, if you give someone a good job to do, what kind of job are they going to do? 
they're going to do a good job. Um, so I always find it my mission to give someone a great job to do. And I think that's the thing that I learned from this individual is like, how do you always give a great job? And even right. if it's not a fun job to do, like taking a trash out, not the best job to do in the world, but how can you make that great? Um, and that really ties into the whole ethos of serving our customer because it is a great job to do. Like every intervention we're doing is important for that one person. What's the one skill you'd love to develop and why? Uh, I've got a work one and a non-work one. I would yeah. love to, my non-work one is I'd love to learn how to set rock climbing routes because I feel like it'd make me a better climber. <laughs> um, from a work perspective, I think it's, do you know what, it's learning Spanish. Um, I think you're going to see more and more and more Spanish speaking is becoming more prevalent, especially in the United States. It's already like one of the most spoken languages over there. Um, and I think it's soon to become more spoken than English. And I think actually being able to talk to people on the in their language removes another barrier from learning um so that would be a big one how's your spanish learning going doug oh, i haven't started it <laughs> we'd love to start doing i haven't done it yet <laughs> um if you weren't doing what you're doing now what else would you be doing i think i i, I always thought i was going to be an art teacher um so right. the, that was kind of the dream when i first moved to london um, so maybe getting back into that thing, but the whole liberating curiosity is a massive part of what I do every day. It's my personal why. Um, so I'm very proud to have found a, a, a role that enables me to do that day in, day out. So it'd be something along those lines, maybe getting back into a bit of art. What are you most proud of from your career so far? I guess it was... You know, so I started my career in the UK and then it was having the privilege to go and work in the States for five years. Like that kind of like life graduation was amazing for me. Like I dropped out of uni because I was like, what am I going to do with my art degree? Work in retail. I was working in retail already. So I was like, well, right. let's like see where this goes. Um, and the year after I dropped out of uni, I got a visa to go work for Topshop in the US, which I did for five years, running their L&D team over there. Well, not team, running the L&D over there. Um, and I think having that access and being able to do that and have that experience in my life has like definitely supported my career, but then also like made me see like how different cultures work. So that's like a massive proud part of what I like I'm so I would recommend anyone to live in another country even if it's for five minutes go do it because you get this like beautiful like Peter Pan feeling um, of exploration it's great and the last one for you Doug what's the one book you'd recommend to someone in L&D uh so this year it has to be Think Again by Adam Grant that book is I mean, everyone at GoHenry is bored of me going on about it, but it's amazing. <laughs> I was even in a conversation the other day and we were doing, we were debating a point and we're like, we, none of us were getting across the line. And then there's a bit in the book where he talks about essentially flipping the conversation. So rather than trying to get someone to agree to your point, ask them like, what are the barriers? So I literally asked the question, oh, so what are the barriers that are stopping you from wanting to try it in this way? And seeing the whole sort of like brain explosion in their brain of thinking about it in a different way. Yeah. And like these are the learns that you can like pull from these books. So I think definitely do Adam Grant think again. Also, audio book, he reads it himself and he's so good at like right. presenting it. So yeah, do, do that. Or at least listen to his podcast, Work Life. Doug, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cool. 
Thank you once again, Doug, for taking the time to share your experiences with us. I really admire Doug's dedication to understanding his internal customers' needs. I think we could all aim to do a bit more of this. If you enjoyed listening, please do take the time to subscribe or share this with others. To connect with either myself or Doug, then you can find our details below. See you next time.